they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Afternoon on this fine Tuesday, the Feast of St. Josephet, Bishop and Martyr of the Catholic Church. He died and gave his life for, he, he was a great promoter of the unity between the Eastern and Western Church. He had been a um, Eastern Orthodox and he converted to the, to the Roman Catholic Church and uh, he died a martyr. So, um, great saint. Well, we begin here today with our gospel for the day, which is just, the, it's the gospel for the 32nd week in ordinary time, Tuesday. And uh, I'm gonna sit. <laughs> Terry's going to have to sit down here. So we're going to try and get this camera all situated so that we're all, we're all in the picture here. Let's get this picture together. So Jesus says to his disciples, things that cause sin will inevitably occur, but woe to the one through whom they occur. It would be better for him. Oops, that was yesterday's gospel. Yep. I'm just a day behind. That's not, right. not a problem here, guys. We'll, we'll catch up eventually. So today's gospel is actually from Tuesday, not Monday. That was Monday's gospel. Mm-hmm. So. Watch out for scandals. <laughs> so maybe the Lord just wanted to re-remind us here. We need this is to, Luke 17, right, my love? Yeah. We're, t- today we're on Luke 17, 7 through 10, instead yeah. of 1 through, one through, one through 8, 1 Got through it. 6. So today's reading is, um, Who among you would say to your servant who had just come in from plowing and tending his sheep, Come here immediately and take your place at the table. Would you not rather say, Prepare something for me to eat? Put on your apron and wait on me while I eat and drink. You may eat and drink when I'm finished. Is he grateful to that servant because he did what he commanded? So should it be with you. When you have done all that you have been commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what we were obliged to do. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is telling us that we should be serving him. And here's the deal. What happens a lot of times is we we get caught up in ourselves. And it's like, okay, if I have to work hard, I want somebody to notice that I'm working hard. And Jesus is telling us that's not what we're supposed to be working for. We do the work for the Lord because the Lord has asked us to do it. We do it to please him. Not because we're going to get um, honor or credit or acknowledgement or get pat on the back. It's... To, to please the Lord because this is what the Lord is asking of us. That's why we want to do what the Lord is asking us to do. And, you know, oftentimes in our life as Christians, and I had this happen to me just recently, a man said to me, I guess he had a near-death experience, and, and in his near-death experience, the Lord, the Lord appeared, he thought the Lord said to him, well, you can't come here yet because you're not, because you haven't earned it. I'm like, um, that wasn't the Lord speaking. Because you see, we couldn't possibly earn our eternal salvation. Amen. There's nothing we can do to earn it. Jesus Christ won it for us. The question is, are we ready to accept it? But oftentimes we think we're going to earn our salvation. We're going to earn, and a lot of people accuse Catholics that this is what the Catholic Church teaches. No, the, the Catholic Church has never taught and doesn't teach that we have to earn our salvation. Salvation is a free, unmerited gift. The question is, am I going to accept it? Does Christ attach merit to our works? Yes, but not because we're going to earn something from those merits. It'll be part of the glory he wants to give us. <clears throat> so it's not that we earn it. 
everything that we do, we do because the Lord is asking us to do it. We do it out of love for him. And we don't, God doesn't owe us anything. God gave us everything. He made us. And, and, and when we turned away from him, and we should have been condemned to hell for all eternity because we turned away from him. Every time we sin, we're turning away from the Lord and choosing some created thing. And it may not be a mortal sin. It may not be a total turning away from the Lord and rejecting him. But nonetheless, we're turning away from the Lord. We're you know, turning, kind of, turning to the side and saying, well, I'd, I'd rather have this right now than you, Lord even in a venial sin. And so any sin is an infinite offense against God and degrades us as human beings. Sin degrades us. So when we do what we're supposed to do as Christians, when we carry out our duties, when we've done the things that we're obliged to do, we've done no more than our duty. And yet God wishes to share his glory with us. He wishes to reward us for that. So it's not a matter of taking pride in it to say, oh, look at me, I'm so good. You know, I've done so much. Everybody should be praising me. No, all glory to the Lord. Everything, any good that I do comes from the Lord and I thank him for it. In the Old Testament, in one of the prophets, it says, it is you, Lord, who have accomplished all the good that we have done. So that's the gist of it. Mary, I always like when you quote the little flower about picking up a cup of water. A pin. If you pick yeah. up a pin off the floor and you do it for love of Jesus. Amen. And it's love that gives value to our actions. Amen. It has the it has the capacity to save a soul, she said. But it is love that gives the value. It's love that gives this value to our actions. I want to add something to the Bible with the Barbers from some of the saints' writings every Tuesday. And one of my favorite saints is Saint Padre Pio. As a matter of fact, we had the honor, my love to being at his canonization back in June of 2002. That's right. Never forget. As a matter of fact, if I have a minute, I'll just tell you a quick story about Padre Pio, and then we'll give you his reading. When we were at the canonization of Padre Pio, we were at San Giovanni Rotunda the day after, where he spent 50 years at a monastery. And you can imagine, if you know my wife and myself, uh, I'm kind of hyper, you can pick that up, and she's more steady than I am, so... It was time we were there. We ran out of a lira, which was the Italian money, and we needed to go to the bank. And there's a long line at the bank. And I said, honey, I'll watch the kids at the park. You can go to the bank. So it took her an hour to get more money. And while I was at the park, most of the people were speaking Italian. But one man was speaking English with an English accent. So being not too bashful, as you could tell, I said, excuse me, uh, where are you from? He says, England. And I said, what brought you to San Giovanni Rotundo? He says, you really want to know? And I said, partner, my wife's in line at the bank. I got an hour here. Bring it on. So he tells me this story. And the story is this. Oh, my gosh. He says, 30 years ago, I was not living a Catholic life. And I was on the train that I used to go to work for 20 years. And I would go back and forth to work on a train. Well, this particular day in 1982... Remember, Padre Pio died in 1968, and he was on this train, and what happened is there was this Franciscan monk sitting on the train who actually got into a conversation with him and said, young man, you need to go to confession. And he thought, wow, that's pretty bold of him. I don't need to go to confession. Get out of here. So the young Franciscan said, well, you have the freedom to say no, and you have the freedom to say yes to God, but you really should go to confession. He said, well, thanks, partner, you know, Padre, but no, I'm not interested. Goes home, 
gets his can of beer, sits in front of the TV and starts flipping the channels and he sees on public television, there's the life of Padre Peel, 50 years of thorns. And he goes, wow, that guy looks just like the guy that was on the train today. Wait a minute. What do you mean he died in 1968? I got to hear a bit more about, he has the stigmata. What's that? The wounds of Christ. Why? He bilocates. He goes and, even after he's dead, they've, there's been stories where he goes and tries to get people to go to confession. What? That Like me, he did that to me today. What? That couldn't be. So he watches the whole hour special and he's blown away and he says, wow, I, I, don't even, I can't even go to work the next day. The wife says, what's wrong? Oh, nothing. Yeah, there's something wrong. So the wife finally found out that he watched this life of Padre Pio and he said that, this monk was on the train and trying to get me to go to confession. So the wife said this. And gentlemen, if your wife's ever say this to you, just say yes. Your wife said, well, why don't you go to confession? <laughs> so she drove him down to the parish and he went to confession. And he said, I took an hour-long confession and I just got back to my Catholic roots. And I promised Padre Peel that I would start prayer groups up and down England because he helped me get back to the meaning and purpose of life. Now, this man told me this story. This wasn't a man who said he had a friend who did it. This was the actual guy that Padre Peel uh, visited. And I had to tell everybody that story. It's in my book, How to Share Your Faith with Anyone. Well, now, Mary, here's what Padre Peel has to say for today. And it ties into the reading you just read from the Gospel of Luke. Padre Peel says, When a soul does everything possible and trusts divine mercy, why would Jesus reject such a spirit? If you have given and consecrated everything to God, why be afraid? Mm -hmm. Now, that the evil one seeks to discourage us through fear. That's just right. how the devil operates. Yeah. But as St. Padre Peel reminds us, God calls us to trust. What one fear is the devil one sowing in my heart to discourage me? What is that one fear? You have to answer that. Is it financial? What does Padre Peel recommend that I do? I will do it now and ask for the intercession of St. Padre Pio. What does he ask? Trust in God. Right. Trust. We need to renew that trust. And that was the, the message of Saint, that Jesus gave to St. Faustina. That, and he said, he said to St. Faustina at one point, he said, it is, it is lack of trust rather than sin that keeps people from becoming saints. You know, people say, oh, I can't be a saint or whatever. I say, well, yes, you can. It's a matter of trusting the Lord. It's not you who become a saint. It's God who makes you the saint. But we're all called to it. Holiness is just the, it's the simple duty of us all. It's not the option of the few. We're all called to live a holy life. So we have to have that unbounded trust. And if you, if you don't have it, I mean, you know, a lot of people have been wounded in life and they've been, their trust has been broken. Somebody that they trusted violated them or, or betrayed them or abandoned them. And so it's hard for them to trust. Well, then go to the Lord in prayer and just say, Lord, I need to have my trust restored. I want to trust you. I acknowledge that you're trustworthy but I also acknowledge that I'm broken inside. But you know what, Lord? That's not beyond your fixing. So I trust you to do that. And just keep renewing it. Even if you feel afraid, and that's it. It's like, it's like was it somebody, it was Adam McCaffrey used to say, he said, do you want to love? Then act as if you love. Mm -hmm. Do you want to trust in Jesus? Act as if you trust him. And I believe that if you ask Jesus Christ for more faith every day, that grace will be there for you to trust. Try to do that each day. Say, Jesus, I ask for more trust in you. And also another thing, Jesus, have mercy on me all through the day. That also builds me up, and I hope it builds you up. We'll be right back with more with the Bible on the Barbers. 
Welcome to our January 11th, 2020 Spiritual Warfare Conference. Every year without fail, this is our most popular, well-attended event. This year's Spiritual Warfare Conference will host Adam Bly, a Catholic demonologist, and an auxiliary member of the International Association of Exorcists, along with Dr. Luis Sandoval, a psychiatrist who's part of the Healing, Deliverance, and Exorcism team for the Diocese of Orange. These two gentlemen bring tons of experience and expertise in the area of spiritual warfare. This is going to be a high-information Catholic seminar. I'll be there as well, sharing some riveting stories on the diabolical and liberation found through Jesus Christ from my best-selling book, The Devil in the City of Angels. Mark your calendars, come and join us, and meet other radio hosts from Jesus 911. Contrary to popular belief, spiritual warfare is not demon-centered. It's Christ-centered. Come join us and learn how to armor up and fight the good fight of faith. Catholics, wake up. Don't hit the snooze button. Join us at St. Christopher Catholic Church, 629 South Glendora Avenue, West Covina, California, on January 11, 2020. See you then. Strength and honor in Jesus' name. This is Terry Barber. I want to invite you to take advantage of having your funeral or your loved one's funeral at the Sacred Heart Chapel in downtown Covina. It's a 115-year-old church, beautiful chapel, and all you got to do is call me at 661-972-7872, and I'll personally make the arrangements with your mortuary to have your funeral or your loved one's funeral here at Sacred Heart Chapel. You won't regret it. 661-972-7872. God love you. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites the Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Shatter and bring to naught. All that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you Amen. have a question or comment, Virgin call 888 526 2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back here to Bible with the Barbers. And we have a question here um, online. We have a caller on hold, Carla Velazquez. And um, Carla, are you there? What is your question? Yes, how are you? Fine, well, how are you? Um, it's been- Good, blessed. I my question is, um, we just had a change in our church. We have a new pastor now, an administrator. He's only there for a year. Let's see if he likes it. But he's made a couple changes, and one was um, put in the bulletin. Yes, this past Sunday, and it was that the prayer to Saint Michael will not be recited before the mass starts by one of the lectors. Is that something that's done? In other churches, I mean, I just, I know it's something that's done in the past. It's one of those, you know, those prayers that we say to, you know, get rid of the evil spirits. Sure. And I've just, I've never heard of it being done prior to the Mass. And, you know, so many people arrive to Mass late to begin with. I just, I don't think it would have the same effect. Yeah. Can I give you a thought? St. John Paul II Back in 1999, I remember when he said it, he encouraged all Catholic churches to say the St. Michael prayer at the end of Mass. And just a quick note, Carla, when we stopped praying that prayer, that was in 1966. 
And I just find it interesting, the connection after that prayer was been what we call repressed for for many years, so much evil was taking place. And I mean evil in our world. And so I would really recommend to tell him that what St. John Paul II said, and that is to pray that prayer after every mass. A saint asked us to do it. I think that's probably higher than me or my wife or anyone else. So I just I would encourage him being, remember, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Ask the pastor, say, could we do what St. John Paul II said and pray it at the end of Mass? That would be my recommendation. Yes. Thank you. And then I just, one other question. Sure. Um, we, we can actually, we have a rail in our church, you know, one of the last churches to have one of those. We have one here, um, communion rails. I love it. I know. I, I, so do I. That's the only way we always kneel. Good for you. Communion in the mouth. Kneeling, uh-huh. God, you know, he, like we, we are to, we are supposed to kneel. Yes. Um, but now he, he's actually saying that if we're kneeling, that we are to receive communion from the ministers, the extraordinary ministers. Can he force us to receive communion from one of the ministers instead of from one of the priests? Yeah, I, no, you or could. Even, all right, I'm going to let my wife answer. I, I get so excited when people say these things because sometimes because it's just. It, just, it yeah. hurts me so much. You're not at. I, are I, you at Guasti right now? Is is that your parish, Guasti? No. No. Good. I'm um, glad to hear that. Go ahead, Mary. You answer that question because I, I got excited. No, you don't have to do that. No, the, the, you, we have the. We, the lay people have the choice to be able to receive Holy Communion kneeling. That's not disobedience. The Holy See said. The Holy See made that very clear. Yep. And uh, and extraordinary ministers of the Holy Eucharist are extraordinary. The priest is the ordinary minister of Holy Communion. He's the one who's supposed to give Holy Communion. So the lay, the lay people should be able to kneel and receive Holy Communion from the priest. There's nothing in the church teaching that forbids that. And it's not an act of disobedience. And if I can, I don't know if you're close by, but we have an Adoramus conference March 10th. Let's go to the... A Virgin Most Powerful Radio's website and under calendar. Mm-hmm. That's the uh, organization that Father Fessy helped found. I was with him 25 years ago as a founding board member, and it's all about the liturgy. So if you type in on your computer, Adoremos, which is Let Us Adore Him in Latin, you can find out all those questions right on their website. They have a frequently asked question section. Mm-hmm. And then I hope you can come. What? How far away are you calling from? I'm in Hawthorne. You're close by, Hawthorne. young lady. Drive I'm to the Saturday, the 10th, on a, a March 10th. I believe it's the 10th of March at the Sacred Heart Chapel. And Father Fessio and two other great liturgists are going to be there talking about the Easter Tritium. And I'll be there. Mary, are you going to be there with me? I hope so. <laughs> well, Carla, I hope you and your husband can make it because you'll learn a lot about liturgy there. Okay? Thank you. I hope just that helps. pray for us because we our church is just... We're going through so many changes. With yeah, that. I understand. And ju- I, I, I yeah. just, I, I, I don't want to stay quiet, but my oh. daughter also goes to school there, and yeah. I'm afraid that it might affect her too. So. No, I understand. You're, you're a good mom. I want you to know that. Okay. Thank you. God bless you both. Thank, Thank you, you and God much. love you. You betcha. Wasn't that beautiful? That's beautiful. I love moms who are really, <laughs> you know, like, like wanting to help get their kids, get to heaven, and right. give them the right, right and reverence for the Blessed Sacrament. You know, Mary, I just have to say this, and this is, we'll get to your Bible study, but, you know, the, the Pew Research said 80% of the Catholics don't even believe in the real presence. Right. 
There's, We've there's, got to get that back because the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. Yeah, it's Christ among us. It's Jesus Christ really present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in our in our midst. Mm-hmm. And we do need to restore the reverence. And Amen. the deal is, is that we have to pray for our pastors very much, but be careful. You know, we never can enter a war we don't have a reasonable certainty of winning. Um, so we need to try and really pray. And sometimes we just have to be silent, even when there's injustice being done. Our Blessed Mother didn't say anything at the foot of the cross. And somebody pointed out to me recently, she didn't run and get all the other disciples, who the apostles who weren't there, and try and force them to come and stand at the foot of the cross with Jesus. She simply stood there. So, yeah, sometimes as a mother you have to be silent, but you offer that. Make that an offering to the Lord in union with our sorrowful mother at the foot of the cross for the restoration of the liturgy within the church, for the restoration of the right order. And I want to give a plug for the Anglican ordinate mass that we have here at the chapel at 9 a.m., uh, there's no communion in the hand. There's no communion standing. Uh, we have these converts that came from the Anglican Church. It's a beautiful liturgy. It's the old liturgy, but it's in English. And beautiful singing, beautiful homilies, a small group of uh, Catholics. We have catechism for the kids after Mass. And I think it's just a wonderful community, and it's growing. So if you can come to that 9 a.m. Mass, and I would even encourage you to come at 11 a.m., to the to the Melkite Mass in Eastern Rite Mass. Yeah, it's beautiful. Because you need to exp- you see the expression of the Church's liturgy there. You know, the, 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 what Saint John Paul II said about the different l- lungs of the Church. Right, the East and the West. We have two lungs, and if you if you leave one out, you're only breathing with one lung. You're handicapped. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's the beautiful tradition of the Church is much richer than just what we experience in the Latin Rite. We're not the only Rite in the Church. And if people have questions, they feel free to call us at triple eight. Five two six two one five, and we are having some phone difficulties. Hopefully, next week we'll have it better. But Mary, continue, please. Okay, and we had a, we always want, like to do a question of the day, and I, I love uh, those questions. We had an app listener question this last week. It actually was a three part question. He said um, his first question was actually very specific. Why why do Catholics uh, not have men not have beards? Because Jesus was a beard, and we're supposed to we had a beard, and we're supposed to be like Jesus. Well, number one, yeah, we're all supposed to be like Jesus, including women. So. Um, not everybody can be physically like our Lord. And as a matter of fact, that's not what we're primarily called to. We're not called to be physically like our Lord. We're not supposed to physically resemble him. We're supposed to resemble him spiritually. Paul says what? He says, I live now, not I, Mm -hmm. but Christ lives in me. Right. Well, Jesus Christ lives in me, and that's what I'm supposed to be, a living image of Christ. And then he goes on in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, and he says what? Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was God, did not deem equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather emptied himself and took the form of a slave. He was known to be human, and it was thus that he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even to death on a cross. So this is how we are supposed to imitate Christ, primarily, is in his obedience to the Father's will and the Father's plan. It's not in physically looking like him as it is in spiritually being so united to Christ that others can see Christ in and through us. Mother Teresa was asked by Bishop Sheen, Mother Teresa of Calcutta was asked by Bishop Sheen once, Mother, you've personally evangelized 15,000 people. How did you do it? What did you say to them? She said, (laughs) I didn't say anything. I loved them. Mm -hmm. And then I would ask them if they know Jesus. 
And they would say to me, oh, mother, is he anything like you? (laughs) And she would say, no, but I try to be like him. And then they would say, mother, we want to know Jesus. So if we are like Jesus, it will draw others to Jesus. And that was, that's the whole point of it. That's the point of the Christianity is that we're supposed to be a living image of Jesus Christ, not in his physical being, but in the reality of who he was in his love. His love should shine through us. And another part of the question was about why do Christians worship on Sunday and not on the Sabbath day? Jesus worshiped on the Sabbath. Well, yeah, the Sabbath was from the old law and it was because the Lord rested on the seventh day after creation But Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week, which, by the way, creation began on the first day of the week. So the new creation begins on the first day of the week with the resurrection of Christ. And the whole point of the Sabbath is to enter into that rest of God. But that rest of Christ, his eternal rest begins with his resurrection from the dead, where he enters into his glory. And we, too, it's the promise of our resurrection where we will enter into resurrection with Christ for all eternity if we are faithful to him unto the end. And did the early church worship on the Sabbath or on the first day of the week? Well, we have um, the Acts of the, I mean, excuse me, Acts of the Apostles, yes, verse 20, excuse me, chapter 20, where it talks about they were gathered together on the first day of the week to worship. Okay, for catechesis and for the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Also, in the book of Revelation, we have John on the island of Patmos on the first day of the week, and John is there, Revelation 1.10, and it's the first day of the week, it's the Lord's Day. And so the first day of the week became known as the Lord's Day, and it was recognized as the day of resurrection, and it was recognized as the day that we are supposed to worship the Father in union with Jesus Christ, particularly through the Eucharist. And we're supposed to be studying our faith. We're supposed to dedicate that day to the service of the Lord through attending to the sick and the... and the Acts they, of charity, too. Acts of charity to our family, to our neighbors, and particularly in the worship, entering into the worship of Christ. So there were things in the old law that were provisional, that the Sabbath would be the day of worship, was... was um, fulfilled in the resurrection of Christ on the first day. So now the first day, the day of resurrection, is the day of worship. Other things that were provisional was the temple, the, the, that it would be in Jerusalem, that the animal sacrifices, um, the circumcision, and the dietary laws, which was another question our questioner asked, is, well, what about the dietary laws? Well, you know, Jesus talked about that in the, in the new law. Jesus Christ in the gospel says nothing that enters a man from without would make him undefiled. So he declared, and then it says in the gospel, he declared all foods clean. (laughs) And then we have the acts of the apostles in chapter 10 verses nine through 16, where Peter, Peter has this vision from God of this sheet full of all kinds of animals coming down. And God tells him, kill and eat. And Peter's like, Lord, I've never touched anything unclean. And God said, what God has made clean, don't call unclean. And three times it happens. And so the the dietary laws were no longer applicable was shown to the apostles. And that's what they passed on to the church. That no, we don't have to follow the dietary laws. That was a provisional thing that God has replaced. Not, how do you say it? He's, He's fulfilled now. And so it's, 
it's new and in the New Testament. And so the dietary laws were provisional. They weren't permanent. We'll be right back with Bible with the Barbers. Welcome, Daniel. You're on the line. What's on your mind, brother? Hi, I just wanted to share a testimony about Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I had a buddy at work who, you know, he's a lukewarm Catholic guy, and I wanted him to start listening to the Terry and Jesse show, so I kept telling him to download the app, and he kept putting me off. So one day, I grabbed his phone, and I downloaded the app <laughs> for him. I went on vacation, and you know, I kept telling him to listen to it. He was kind of put me off. I came back from vacation. He comes to my cubicle, and he says to me, Hey, man, I've been listening to Terry and Jesse's show, and it's great. And it's uh, made a big impact in his life. The guy, he's going to weekly adoration a couple times a wow. week. He goes to the Mass in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an on-fire Catholic, and he promotes uh, the Terry and Jesse show on the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Wow. Daniel, what a testimony. And I want to encourage our listeners to get those cards by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org and uh, do what Daniel's doing. Go out and spread the faith by inviting people to listen to Virgin Most Powerful. Daniel, thanks for your testimony, brother. God love you. You're welcome. In Luke 7, Jesus said, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven her because she has been shown great love. According to St. John of the Cross, Christians should always remember that the value of their good works is not based on number and excellence. Their value is based on the love for God that prompts them to do the works. May we always be motivated by true love for God and not worry so much about what we do, but why we do it. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%! Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Hey, we're back, and I just wanted to mention something. Mary Danielle has a Bible study on Tuesday nights at 7. I said, let me do the bring it back. 7 p.m. every Tuesday night at the Sacred Heart Chapel in downtown Covina. Also on Thursdays at 1 o'clock in the afternoon for those who don't want to go out when it's dark, and I understand that. Yeah. So just uh, join us. You'll, you'll learn a lot about the Bible and uh, Mary, now where are we at? Uh, are we going to go right into our study? We're we're here at the end of the Acts of the Apostles. We've got finally got Paul to Rome. All right, <laughs> Paul is in Rome. And, and uh, here's the the deal. He comes there, and again, Paul. How do we respond to persecution? I think Paul's example is so beautiful to us. Mm-hmm. Here, the Jews in Jerusalem have attacked him. Not only in Jerusalem, everywhere he's gone. Mm-hmm. And he has nothing against his own people. He has nothing. And he recognizes that the gospel is supposed to be preached to the Jews first because Christ came to save his people. And the Jews are his special people. There was a special calling for the Jews to bring God to the nations. They were the first ones who were supposed to bring the Lord to the nations. 
So Paul is there, and he has nothing against his own Jewish people, and yet he's in chains, and he's going to have to stand trial before the the Roman, before the emperor. Mm-hmm. And if his accusers from Jerusalem actually stand up, he's gonna. There's going to be this conflict between Paul and his accusers in terms of their disagreement. So Paul, when he's there in in Rome, when he arrives, he sends for the Jews in Rome because he wants to tell them. The reason I'm here, the reason I'm wearing these changes, because my hope in the resurrection of the dead. Now, not all the Jews believed in the hope of the resurrection of the dead because the Sadducees didn't, but many Jews believed. It was there in the Old Testament that the, the dead would rise. It's there. It's already there in the Old Testament. And um, the book of Job talks about it. The book of Maccabees talk about it. The Jews knew about these books. They were familiar with them. And so... You know, there's nothing deserving of death, and I have nothing against my own people, and yet here I am, standing before you. And so he wants to present their case to, to, he wants to present his case to the Jews in Rome so that they understand. He's not trying to attack them. He's not there to make trouble for them either. So they appointed a day to listen to him. And so when they come together, he spends the entire day speaking to them about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And he uses the law of Moses and the prophets to show that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Footnote, Mm -hmm. for all those Christians in our 20th century or 21st century world who think that we can reject the Old Testament, Jesus didn't think so and neither did Paul and neither did Stephen for that matter. They showed how Christ was the fulfillment of everything that was promised in the Old Testament Ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ, Old Testament and New. If you don't know the Old Testament, you're not going to know Christ. And if I can just jump in on this, because Dr. Scott Hahn did a series called Typologies of the Old Testament for the New Testament. And, you know, this was such an eye-opener for me, Mary. And if people want to get it on an MP3 disc, we can give it to them, make a little donation. They can call 877 215. And this is a course he taught at Steubenville. Yeah. You'd spend thousands of dollars going to take that course at right. Dr. Hahn. Right. But we were fortunate. We were able to record it when I had St. Joseph Communications, and we still have the rights for him, and we're happy to get it to you because that will really help you understand right. why the Old Testament is so important and how much you'll miss of the New Testament without the Old. Exactly. And it's, I mean, you know, the Proto Evangelium mm. is Genesis in Genesis, Genesis 3.15. The first announcement of the good news Again. that there would be a Messiah. You know, this is not you don't you can't do away with the Old Testament. No. So some of the Jews, some of the Jews listened to him and were were inclined to believe, and others did not. Others, so there was disagreement among them, and so they're going to depart. But before they depart, Paul makes a statement. He said, "The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet." And again, there's always this. Quoting of the Old Testament. Jesus quoted the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Go to this people and say, you shall indeed hear but never understand, and you shall indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their eyes are heavy, excuse me, their ears are heavy with hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should perceive with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn for me to heal them. Mm -hmm. Let it be known to you then that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. 
And so Paul, even though he's been persecuted by the Jews, he's offering them salvation, but he doesn't force it on them. He's offering it, but he does offer it. And when they don't accept it, he warns them. You know, the prophet Isaiah has something to say about this. You're hardening your hearts against God. You better think twice about what you're doing. So, but again, you are free. You're free to accept or reject. And he's not going to persecute them. He's not going to condemn them. He leaves them in God's hands. And by the way, he prays. He prayed and he made it evident in his writings that he was praying for the conversion of all the Jews. And he, and he encourages us to do the same. We should still be praying for the conversion of all the Jews because the gospel was first made known to them and they were the first recipients. And so Paul has no animosity. How are we supposed to respond to persecution? No animosity, but respond with the scriptures, respond with the truth, respond with the fullness of the faith and don't water it down for anyone. It's not like, oh, okay, well, it's okay. You know, you're Jews and it's all good. And just be a good Jew and it's all going to be fine. You know, Paul's not saying that. He's not going to water it down. But at the same time, he's not going to condemn and he's not going to persecute and he's not going to hate those who hate him. He treats everyone with a great deal of love. So Paul gets to remain in Rome. He's there for two years under house arrest until his trial can come up. And he's, he's, He's free to have anyone. He's, by the way, he's paying for his own lodging. And he's free to have anyone come in and he preaches the kingdom openly without hindrance. People come. And of course, if the Jews come, that's great. But if they don't come, then he's, he will preach to the Gentiles because this is what he was sent to do. The gospel is supposed to be preached to all nations, not just the Jews. Just to jump in, because today, the November 12th, and you're getting me all excited listening to you, as usual. St. Josephat was a bishop and a martyr. And what's interesting about him, Mary, is he was born in the Orthodox community, the church that had broken away from Rome, and came back to be a convert to the Catholic faith. And he was out there evangelizing, and he didn't have that attitude that you just said, well, let him stay Orthodox. No, he was known as the Snatcher of Souls. I love that title. I wouldn't be called, I'd like to be called Snatcher of Souls. Mm-hmm. And so he brought so many Orthodox Christians into the Catholic faith that it upset so many people. He ended up giving his life for Christ, for Christ so as a martyr. Christ, he, was, right. he was killed. And it, it wasn't, he didn't say, oh, and he, he grew up Orthodox. Yes, he did. He was a convert. To yeah, the Roman Catholic right. Church. That's right. So it, it wasn't it wasn't like, oh, well, you know, they have the faith, too. They have enough. It's like, no, Jesus Christ, when he established his church, and he only established one church, right. the fullness of the faith was left to the apostles and for them to pass on. And remember, that sacred deposit of faith is not at the whim and the fancy of anyone within the church. They're supposed to safeguard it and pass it on and explain it to every new generation in ways that that new generation will understand and be able to respond to, but not to change it. We don't change the the gospel that Jesus left us. We pass on the truth and we safeguard it. And I will acknowledge there are some people in the church who say, you can't do that. You can't ask them to convert. Don't ask a Jewish man to convert. He'd be a good Jew. And, you know, I'm going to say that that's a scandal. I'll just be honest with you, because can you imagine St. Joseph, Bishop and Martyr, listening to some of us in the church today saying, oh, don't worry about them becoming a, a a Catholic. And here he gave his life for doing just what they said, don't worry about. But here's my point. 
Just because we have some scandal in the church, don't let that get in the way of doing the right thing and praying for that conversion for all people to come to the fullness of the faith. Exactly. Jesus Christ left us the fullness of what he wanted, and he left it in the church. And the church, the Catholic Church, has the fullness of the faith. Right. Now, yeah, the Protestant churches have part of the truth. They have the scriptures. The Orthodox churches have part of the truth. They have the scriptures, and they have the sacraments. But they don't have the fullness of what Christ left. So we want to offer everyone the fullness. It's like, you know, if you made the analogy with the body, it's like, well, yeah, some people are starving and they don't have enough to eat. But, you know, they've got something to eat. So why should I worry about them when I have plenty to eat? Well, it's like that. You know, we Catholics, we have more than plenty to eat in regards to the faith. We have more than plenty to nourish our faith. Are we willing to share that with others? Or are we saying, oh, you know, don't worry about it. They're fine. They're just fine the way they are. They, you know, hey, you know, as long as they love the Lord and whatever, well, maybe the Lord wants more for them. Maybe he wants to pour more graces and you're standing in the way because you won't share the fullness of the faith with them. Well, most people want the best. That's how I present it to people. I say, you're a Christian. God bless you. But you know what? You're missing the fullness of Christianity that has been taught from day one, the apostolic teachings of the church. Wouldn't you want to be able to receive Holy Communion. We believe it's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. You come from a tradition that says, no, it's a symbol. And that's just not true because Christianity has always taught that. And when you break from the church, you're going to miss a lot of its teachings because now it becomes a church of man-centered because man is the one who, who started that church. Look at your question. Who started your church And as Catholics, Jesus Christ started our church, and we're the only one other than the Orthodox. They were Catholic for a thousand years and then broke. But my point is, we can't forget that we should share the fullness of the gospel with whoever we meet. Right, and that's that's what we want to do here, and and that's what Christ did. That's what Mm -hmm. the apostles did. And again, not only St. Joseph, but all the martyrs throughout the ages. Sure, they could have compromised, but they didn't. And they offered everyone the fullness of the faith. And they wanted to bring everyone into union with Jesus Christ, the full union that Jesus desired to give. And that is with the sacraments. The full, you know, the sacraments were established by Christ and given into his church as a sacred trust. It's not that the church can change whatever she wants willy nilly. It's. We the, the the Pope and the bishops who are in union with him are supposed to safeguard and pass on the sacred deposit that was left. By we Jesus. call it the perennial teachings of the church. There's no expiration date on any of the Ten Commandments, not even the Pope. No one can change those things. So I want to reassure you that always look at what the church has always taught. We call it the perennial teachings of the church. We'll be back with much more The Bible with the Barbers. This is Jesse Romero. And I'm Terry Barber. From the Terry and Jesse Show. And we invite you to listen to the Holy Hour of Power, High Energy Catholic Radio. We're two Catholics with a PhD in common sense. We're on Monday through Friday on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. What we're going to give you is masculine Catholic teachings on the faith. 
You know, we say we're too inspired to be tired, we're too protected to be dejected, and we're too renewed to be subdued. Why? Because we believe in Jesus Christ and His Bride, the Church, and we will take each issue of the day and show you how the Catholic Church has the answer for our culture. What we really do is bring men back into the Catholic Church, which it's about time to do. We want men to be leaders in their Catholic faith so that they can bring their family to heaven. Our program is not right versus left. It's right versus wrong. And our program is where Catholicism and culture intersect. It's high-energy Catholic radio. We're going to inspire you to fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ and His bride in the church. The Terry and Jesse Show on the Virgin Most Powerful app. Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in His own image. Male and female, he created them. According to Pope St. John XXIII, It is not true that some human beings are by nature superior and others inferior. All human beings are equal in their natural dignity. May God help us to look upon everyone as a person created in his image and likeness and treat everyone the same without favoritism or prejudice. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back. And Terry is um, running errands. <laughs> He's got so much to do all the time. So what I want to do now is begin the introduction to Paul's letter to the Romans. It's interesting. We left Paul there in Rome. At the end of the Acts of the Apostles, the end of the Acts of the Apostles kind of ends abruptly with Paul still under chains. Um, this is before his martyrdom, and it doesn't give his martyrdom. So apparently the Acts of the Apostles was written before Paul was martyred. But the, the author, according to St. John Chrysostom, had fulfilled his purpose, and that was to, his purpose, according to St. John Chrysostom, was to give us what was absolutely necessary, and that was to show how the Holy Spirit had guided the early church. And so now we move on, and we move to the um, letter to the Romans, which this letter he actually wrote to the Romans before he got to Rome. So this this letter is um, before Paul himself got to Rome. He he wrote it probably um, in the late scholar uh, scholars think the late uh, winter of eighty fifty seven, and he got to Rome about eighty sixty. So Romans can be divided into, uh, you have three, three sections there. If you want to just divide the book up neatly, it's, you have salvation in Christ. And this is, um, the letter begins with a, a sweeping indictment of the whole of mankind, declaring everybody guilty before God. And so what is this cancer that human beings have? It's the cancer of rebellion against God. 
and it has spread rampantly, not just to the pagans, but also to the Jews. This this tendency to rebel against God, and by the way, it's it's yeah, it can be seen as a cancer. It's it's deadly. You know, sin is nothing. What do I mean by sin is nothing? Sin is the rejection of being. Philosophically speaking, it's it, it truly is nothing because it it's the rejection of being. You see, evil, God didn't make evil. Everything that God made is good. So evil is when you reject being, when you reject what God made, when you reject God and his goodness. That's evil. That's sin. All wrongdoing is sin. So the whole world is in this rebellious state against God. What are we going to do? What's going to happen? Because we find ourselves almost imprisoned in sin, and we're like, well, what's going to happen? So we're entangled in sin and desperate, and we're in desperate need of salvation. And God responds to us how? By sending his son, his son, Jesus Christ, who's dying and rising, rescues the fallen family of Adam and restores them to a righteous standing with God. And then the, uh, the second part of the letter to the Romans, Paul, from Romans 9, 1 to eleven thirty nine, he talks about the restoration of Israel. The central section of Romans examines the place of Israel in the new economy of grace. Though many in Israel have repudiated the gospel, Paul insists that God has not abandoned his covenant people, but is planning to save all Israel in Christ. So we need to continue to pray for the conversion of the Jews. We need to continue to pray for all the descendants of Israel, that they will come back to the Lord. And then we have the third part of Romans, and that is Christian living in the epilogue, okay? The final chapters of Romans gives us practical application of the theology expounded in in the book. So the theology of Romans is very deep. It's very mature. Um, It is difficult it's that, it's that letter when Peter wrote, he said, there are those who read Paul to their own detriment. He's referring to the letter to the Romans. Even Paul had to make some clarifications in his writings that we'll get to as we study this book. But Paul is writing this letter, and again, as everything, to bring people to the Lord and to bring the Lord to the people, to let us know that we have salvation in Christ Jesus. And you know, this salvation is not about um, we're dunghills covered with snow. We're just miserable, wretched sinners, and, and God just says, okay, well, it's okay. I'm going to let you in anyway. No, it's about the creation of a new man through the grace of Christ Jesus, that we truly can overcome sin in our life and become a new creation in Christ, that we become changed from within so that we are no longer dunghills covered with snow. As a matter of fact, from within, we begin to resemble Christ, the resemblance of Christ. As I spoke about in the, answering that app listener question about are we supposed to resemble Christ physically? Spiritually, we resemble him. In his love for the Father, in his obedience to the Father, and in his love for mankind, and his willingness to sacrifice everything to save sinners. So Paul starts out with a greeting, and it's interesting because he uses a typical greeting that would be a greeting of the 
the Greek world, except that he adds Christian um, images to it. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and designated son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including yourselves, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all God's beloved in Rome who are called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul lays it out there, doesn't he? We are called in Christ to belong to Jesus Christ and that he is truly a man. He's a descendant of David according to the flesh. He truly took to himself human flesh. He's not a human person, a human being. He has a human nature, and yet he is truly son of God, which was proven by his resurrection. The greatest proof of his divine of his divinity is that he raised himself from the dead. Son of God, that means that he is a divine person. You see, God is not a solitude unto himself. God is a trinity of persons, a trinity of persons who exists in relationship. And that's why God made man, when he made him in his image, in relationship. First, Adam had to discover that he was alone and he needed to be in relationship. And then God made Eve for Adam. And the family is that image of God that God made. And it's not man who makes the laws about what the family is. God himself made it when he made man. And what are we called to? We are called to be saints. And what does it mean to be a saint? It means to live in union with God. I remember in college one time I was talking to a priest and I was telling him, well, I know I called to be a saint. And he's like, well, what does that mean? And I'm thinking, I don't know. I haven't, I just, I'm supposed to be a saint. And I'm thinking to myself, I thought to myself all my life, I think I thought you need to read the lives of the saints and just do what they did. And then you'll become a saint. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's not that way. It's it's about being in relationship. It's about falling in love with God and allowing God to work in and through us. It's living in union with God. And Father just looked at me and he said, to be a saint means to live in union with God. And I'm like, oh, my word. To be a saint means to live in union with God. That means the simplest person on this face of this earth can be a saint. I get up in the morning and I say, Lord, I want to live in union with you today. I'm going to scrub the kitchen floor. I'm going to clean my house. I'm going to plow the fields or plant the corn or plant the plants or whatever. Whatever is my duty, I will do this in union with God. And I will do everything in my day in union with God. This is what it means to be a saint. And by the way, to ask him to perfect us in love. It's not about practice the virtues, practice the virtues, practice the virtues, and then you'll become eventually love God. Blessed Don Columbia Marmion said, no, we have to love God, and then eventually we'll be able to practice the virtues. So we need to ask for love first. Ask for this love that we live in union with God. When you, when you love someone, 
It draws you into union. So if, if being a saint means living in union with God, that means love. So the first thing is love. Love is first. So we ask the Lord to set us on fire with his love so that we will live in union with him day by day. And then Paul goes on. He says that he thanks God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed to the world. And he says that he constantly prays for them. God is my witness that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He wanted to visit the church in Rome. And he prayed God for this grace, and God granted it. But here's the deal. He's constantly praying for the people. Are we praying for each other constantly? Or are we complaining about each other? One of the things we like to do so much, Lord have mercy on us, we like to complain. We need to give it up. We need to cease the inner dialogue and change the subject of our meditation. We need to stop complaining about what people do and how they act. We need to start praying for one another and praising God for the lives of those in our lives. Sure, they may be causing us trouble. They may be challenging us. You know what? If you go to a personal trainer and that personal trainer doesn't challenge you, you're never going to build strength or, or change. In order to change, you have to challenge yourself. So when people challenge us in our lives, we can be grateful to God because that's giving us an opportunity to grow. So when we meet people who are challenging, we can say, thank you, God, for sending this person into my life. This person really challenges me to grow in patience, in charity, in humility, whatever it is, you know, <laughs> You know, the, the, the constant irritation. But remember, the, the piece of sand gets into the clam and that constant irritation creates a pearl. So if we turn it over to the Lord, then it becomes a pearl. So we have this introduction here to Romans. I see the clock ticking down here. It's time for this program to come to an end here today. I have Bible study tonight at the chapel. If you want to join us, you can, you're welcome to come. 7 to 9 at the chapel, Sacred Heart Chapel in downtown Covina. And again on Thursday afternoon, for those who don't come out at night, thank you for joining us. Thank you for your donations. Thank you for your prayers and sacrifices. If you'd like to um, order that set that Terry was talking about, Typologies by Scott Hahn, 877-526-2151. Make a little donation to help out the radio program and keep us going. And... We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And thank you all for your questions and your prayer requests. We really appreciate that. And I try and get to those questions. I know sometimes I get behind and it takes me a little more time, which lately it's been, I've been a little busy, but that's okay. I, I'm, I'm still trying to answer them. So, and if I haven't answered your question, send it in again. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests. Oh, my Jesus. I beg thee on behalf of the whole church, grant it love and the light of thy spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great high priest, may the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares which are continually being set for the souls of priests 
May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin most powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.